Philippi. This is what this passage is, uh, the passage to the Philippians. And Philippi was located in northern Greece, called Macedonia in Paul's day, and this thriving commercial centre sat at the crossroads of uh, Europe and Asia. And after the war in 42 BC, many of the Roman soldiers actually settled in Philippi, and soon after that it became a Roman colony and therefore enjoyed the benefits of being attached in that way to Rome a status that meant they gained special privileges, and so they tended to think of themselves as somewhat better than the people who lived around them. Now, I'm sure that can't apply to people in Billericay, but um, I'm sure you can think of somewhere that is the case. However, Paul and Silas arrived in AD 50, and when they arrived, they brought a greater distinction to Philippi they would be the first European country to hear the gospel from Paul's lips. Paul and his companions began the church in Philippi on his second missionary journey, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 16 if you want to. And there we read about uh, the account of the conversions of those that formed the first church. You will remember there was Lydia, she was a businesswoman, wasn't she? And she was a seller of purple. And then there was a slave girl that was being used um, incorrectly and Paul was able to heal her. And then, of course, there was a Philippian Philippian jailer who was going to kill himself when he thought all the prisoners had escaped. And Paul said, no, don't do that. We're all still here. And so amazingly, from this motley crew, formed the first church on the European continent. Initially they met in Lydia's house, but then they went on after a time to become very much a flourishing congregation who Paul had the happiest of relationships with over many years. He's writing now some 12 years later. We see uh, that illustrated how much he loved them in his opening lines and particularly verse 3 where he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And we see this theme of of joy runs throughout this epistle as he remembers the support that they've showed to him. And he especially now writes this letter while he's in chains in Rome. He's in prison in Rome. And despite this, his message is is one of encouragement. Encouragement is not one of them for them to feel sorry for him. It's a message of encouragement. And certainly not because everything in the garden was rosy either, but because whatever persecution they face or whatever suffering they would go through for the sake of Christ would far outweigh any joy they had previously known in him. For Paul knew they were surrounded by an enemy, a Caesar-worshipping enemy, an enemy they would mean, that would mean they would face many difficult times ahead. Now, if you're a Christian in North Korea in 2023, in many ways your experience is very similar, or perhaps even worse. Sister Jay is an open doors field worker in China taking extraordinary risks to share the love of Jesus to North Korean refugees, those that have escaped across the border And together these women risk their freedom and their lives just to meet and study the Bible. But like Paul 
and the church at Philippi, they are discovering that Jesus is worth it all. Sister Jay says this, we have to take risks, but even though we know it is not safe, we still have to do it. God loves each of these women so much. We really want to share God's love with them and let them know there is an amazing God who helps them and who will be with them all the time. We have to share that, even though it's risky. Everything is kept hidden. The Bibles are kept hidden, any notes they may make. The meetings are in secret so that they can't be tracked down. But despite the risks, the women are still coming because they really want to learn more about the Bible and they want to learn more about Jesus. Now, while North Korea is the riskiest place on earth to be a Christian, those just across the border take just as much risk. You may have heard in the news recently that uh, 600 refugees are being returned to China who have uh, escaped from North Korea and under the cover of what's happening in Israel at the moment, they're shipping these back. Now, I met somebody the other week who told us that uh, many of their parents uh, who are still in China know that their children are in that shipment of people that are being sent back to, at worst, a lifelong imprisonment of hard labour, as we saw there about North Korea, or even worse, they may well be sentenced to death. We need to pray for them. You see, Paul is writing to the Philippians about experiences that perhaps up until now they hadn't fully endured. But he knew from his own experience and that of others that there were more difficult times to come for the church and he wanted them to be prepared. So what can we learn from this passage this morning? What is our role as Christian persecution ramps up around the world today? Well, the first thing that comes out of that passage, I think, very clearly, is partnership in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. One of the things the Philippian church had done for Paul while he was in prison was to send that gift. You remember with the Baphroditus, they sent him uh, with a gift and to visit Paul while he was in prison. And we said Paul was now in in a Roman prison. This was now AD 61 and he specifically wrote this letter to thank them for their numerous gifts and to encourage them in their faith. Paul speaks with real genuine fondness and affection for the believers in Philippi. If you've got your Bibles, look at these verses again with me quickly. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul expresses his gratitude, doesn't he? He fondly remembers the Philippians, his time with them and now their support. There was no out of sight, out of mind here, was there? I wonder if we're sometimes guilty of forgetting. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray pray with joy. And there's that, that theme of joy which flows throughout this whole epistle question for us is, when others think about you, when they think about us, I wonder what comes to their minds. Are you remembered with joy by them? I often wonder, when I've been to speak in a church, (laughs) what they thought of what I said. And it's only natural, isn't it? But do our acts of kindness lift others up? And then as we get to verse 5, it says there, 
the key thing, because of your partnership in the gospel. See, this is a key thing for us to consider this morning because simply they stood alongside him in partnership. It's a two-way connection. When Paul said that the Philippians were partners in the gospel, he was pointing out their valuable contribution. It wasn't a passive role. It was a valuable contribution in spreading God's message. They contributed through their practical help when Paul was with them in Philippi, and then they continued that with their visitation and sending them gifts, him gifts when he was in prison. And this parallel is, is quite easily shown for us when we help our, our ministers, our missionaries, and our br- brothers and sisters in other countries through prayer, hospitality, through financial gifts. We become partners with them. We're joined together, just as they did when they sent their gift and helper to Paul. And then in verse 7 it says, All of you share in God's grace with me, whether in chains or with freedom, we have a shared responsibility as brothers and sisters. We're bound to each other as a family. You know, when I first got involved with Open Doors, um, I have to say, uh, to be quite honest, I I found it as a big surprise. I've been a Christian a long time, and I've been bringing up my family, and I've been doing things in the church, and all those things you think you're doing right, serving the Lord. I went to this Open Doors conference, and I found out what was going on with uh, Christians around the world, and quite honestly, I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed that I didn't know about this and, and my duty. And it's only then that I suppose I really understood that phrase, brothers and sisters. I'd heard people call brothers and sisters, and I know it was there in the Bible, but that really brought it home to me, that they were family. And this is shown in verse 8. It says, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, I love you as Jesus does showing the feeling and the depth of compassion that he had for them. And that's the question we need to ask ourselves, isn't it? You see, it might not be our blood family in terms of who was born into our actual family, physical family here, but we are all part of Jesus' family and through his blood that was shed. Have you ever longed to see um, a friend or a family member? Maybe somebody who lives in another country, so you only get to see them on FaceTime or Zoom or something, and you just long to hold them, you long to give them a cuddle, especially if it's grandchildren or something like that. Paul had such a longing to see the Christians at Philippi once again. His love and affection for them was based not merely on past experiences, but also on that unity that comes with believers when they draw upon Christ's love. Do you feel deep love for your fellow Christians? If Christ's love is truly in us, it will motivate us to love other Christians and to express that love in our actions towards them, for they are indeed our family, God's family. This theme of of partnership is huge for Paul. What he feels is what we're meant to feel as well, to be lived out locally and to be lived out globally. It's something that the most persecuted, like Paul, fully grasp. 
Tiram is a, a trauma, trauma counsellor with Open Doors Partners in northern Nigeria. And she gets the depth of what Paul's saying because she's living it today, right now. She says, Every Christian is sitting on a landmine in Nigeria. Nowhere is safe without Jesus. She goes on to say, We in the persecuted church are like an injured foot. It's bleeding and the wound is open. But when you come alongside in prayer and support, it's like you soothe the pain. You take care of the wound. She completely understands what it means to partner with Jesus. And her suffering and her persecution has heightened this as she shares the pain that our Lord himself bore. His death and resurrection unites us in the most powerful way possible. And we can share in that fellowship all because of Jesus As you perhaps uh, noticed in the video, Nigeria is number six on the Open Doors World Watch List. And as we said earlier, it's uh, probably the most violent place to be a Christian. If murders and deaths uh, were the only thing that were taken into account, then Nigeria would be number one. Paul reminds us from prison in Rome of a much higher calling in his life and on ours as well the higher eternal calling we have as citizens of heaven. That we have an allegiance to a a higher king. We're part of a kingdom that will never be conquered, will never fade or demise. We are partners in building, extending and stretching the borders of that kingdom right now. Writing to the Philippian believers, Paul calls them to continue to partner with him and live for Christ with every shred of their being, to partner with Jesus no matter the risk. And I say again, this is what we're called to do as well. Hannah has one of the riskiest uh, jobs going. Through Open Doors Secret Networks in China, she meets with these North Korean refugee women. They've escaped North Korea in search of a better life, but have ended up being trafficked. Often women who escape uh, across the border are taken advantage of by the Chinese. They know they're fugitives from their own country, so they either set them to work as servants or even surrogates, or even worse. Hannah risks arrest and imprisonment to share the gospel with these women. She travels long distances each time to get to the border, to meet with them, to seek them out, to find them. She never takes the same route, she never uses the same driver because there's always the risk of her being followed and yet there are still spies around. China, as you know, has all this digital technology, they're watching everybody. If you're under 18, you're not allowed to go to church now in China. They've knocked a lot of the big churches down and if pastors don't heed to what Xi Jinping says about how they should conduct their services and I should be up here. If it was this country, I'd be having to say how good I thought Rishi Snugak was. That's the sort of thing that they're told they've got to say. And if they don't, then they end up in prison. And so in this situation, they send out spies as well. And these spies sometimes get involved in these meetings. But none of this stops her. 
We heard before, she said, we love Jesus and his church deeply. We believe in being willing participants, extending the borders of the kingdom of God. But she goes on to say, I would make the journey even for one, even for the spy. And your prayers and your support are essential for us to be able to do this work. You, we, us, make Hannah's remarkable ministry possible. Right now, Open Doors are probably keeping something like 80,000 North Korean believers alive with vital food aid through their secret networks in China. As well as providing shelter and discipleship training for North Korean refugees at safe houses, as we just mentioned. And they can't do any of this without you. Your partnership in the gospel is vital. It cannot be underestimated. And as Hannah says, your prayers are essential. It's the power of testimony. The power of testimony to fully live and die for Christ. As Paul said right at the end of the reading that Jill read there, has an impact. It has a tremendous impact. As we saw earlier, the world watch list map shows the reality. The cost of following Jesus is sobering and grim. But it's also a story of hope. There are over 360 million testimonies, lights shining in the darkness out there, each a powerful testimony of the truth of the gospel and how precious it is to know Jesus. Look at verses 12 and 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul's testimony resulted in two things, simply the external advance of the gospel and internal boldness of the believer. Paul was bound constantly to a Roman soldier, not just any ordinary soldier, it was one of the emperor's elite guards, one of his hand-picked men. You could say he literally had a captive audience. But Paul's conviction of the truth of the gospel in Jesus spread throughout the whole palace and the imperial guard and beyond. I'm in chains for Christ, he says, and remarkably, those chains served to advance the gospel and potentially impacted hundreds of, uh, hundreds of elite soldiers that would otherwise never have heard of Jesus and what he had done. The power of testimony was right there, and the paradox shouldn't be lost. Paul is in chains, yet his imprisonment opened the door to new opportunities for the gospel to be shared and to go forward. Machaba was 20 years old when he was arrested. His crime, leading a secret house group church in his home in Iran, which was number eight on the world watch list. Machaba was to spend three years in prison for his faith in Jesus and leading that house church. And at one point he spent 22 days in straight solitary where he was blindfolded, he was beaten, he was tortured... And at times he thought, as we all do probably, and sometimes when we go through difficult times, not like this of course, but why me? Why me, Lord? Why am I here? And these were, pa- these were painful times for him, but he then used to think back at his lowest point to the cross, 
and what Jesus had done for him on the cross. And he would draw strength from that. And in the end, Machaba discovered that God was at work, even behind the bars in a prison in Iran against all the odds. He befriended an imam that came into the prison and he said to the imam, this a Muslim, Muslim leader, can you bring a Bible in for me? <laughs> the Muslim leader I laughed. He said, be easier to bring drugs into here. But one day, he asked him if he'd brought anything in and, and actually he did. He didn't bring in the whole Bible, but he brought in snippets of scripture and they were actually in English. And then with the help of other inmates he was able to get those translated and one by one, those prisoners that were there with Metaba came to know Christ as their saviour. You see, Metaba learned a big lesson, that persecution can take the gospel to places where nothing else can. The power of testimony, the power of the gospel at work. And for us, as Brother Andrew reminds us, it's our prayer We can do other things, certainly, but our prayer is the most important thing that we can do, for he says that our prayers, as I said to the children, our prayers can go where we can't. Then we see the power of Paul's testimony on the local church. Because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Persecution is a powerful force. It so often leads to true conviction a deepening of faith in Jesus and serves as a driving force for the gospel. I don't know if we've got any Formula One fans here. I, I happen to be a, a bit of a fan myself. Um, if you're, if you're, yes, I, I didn't watch the race either this morning, don't worry, so I don't want to know who won or what happened. But, <laughs> but you know, with Formula One, it's the pinnacle of motorsport and it's what drives engineering to produce the things that we've got on our cars today, even something as simple as ABS. And that's for the untechnical here, it's your anti-lock braking system. That came out of Formula One. Um, they're not allowed to use it now, they have to rely on the drivers. But it's the pinnacle of people pushing the barriers, isn't it? And that's, this happens in a number of fields, but it drives engineering for cars forward. And that's exactly what persecution does in the church. It drives the church forward. It continues to grow, whatever is thrown at it. It's amazing, whether that's in North Korea or in Colombia, as I mentioned earlier, in China and Iran, or in house churches. Now, you may remember this chap. This is Ayatollah Khamenei. And uh, when he was in charge in Iran, one of the other Ayatollahs came up to him and he says, what are you going to do about all these Ayatollah's children who are going to these house churches and becoming Christians? He said, what? What? He said, what are you going to do about it? So he said, well, I I know what I'll do. I'll put a stop to this. He was livid. So the next day he commandeered all the TV channels, which of course he could do in Iran. And for an hour he lambasted the people on television, telling them that whatever they do, they mustn't attend these Christian house churches. They are evil places to go. In fact, they're run by the CIA. And if you go there, they offer you soup, and it will be poisoned. Whatever you do, don't go to these house churches, these Christian house churches. And people are watching this on television, and they say, what's a house church? What's a house church? 
And as a result, there was a spike in house church attendance. (laughs) Persecution is a powerful force. And time and time again in the persecuted church, we see the power of testimony at work against all the odds. We see believers strengthened and full of courage. And this is something we can experience as well in our own lives. Sister Jay expresses this beautifully. She says, North Korean refugee ladies never lose their hope. They're so excited to know Jesus Christ, even though they are still suffering and they are still in hiding. They are really full of the joy of Christ. They give thanks for everything, even the small things they have and the small things we share with them. They give thanks to God and they give thanks to us, but not only to us. They also give thanks to all the supporters, though they have never met you. Amazingly, many of these women choose to go back to North Korea. Can you imagine that, having escaped? But having found Jesus, they want to go back and tell others. They want to tell their friends. They want to tell their family about the biggest thing that they've ever found in their lives. And of course, that's the biggest risk of all, because we know if they go back into North Korea, what they're likely to face. But they are overflowing with joy and hope because God really walks with them. Such stories as these, these testimonies inspire me and hopefully they do you as well. The power of testimony grows our faith, our conviction of the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is and what he should mean to us. And it's a privilege of knowing him personally. And if you don't know him personally here this morning, well, can I encourage you to get to know him? Come and see one of the elders here, one of the leaders, and speak to them. So thank you for your support and your continued dedication to supporting missionaries, field workers, spreaders of the gospel, and our brothers and sisters in adversity. They can't do it without you. I know Jewel started a prayer group. It was mentioned earlier. Do talk to her about that and see if you can come along. I'm going to try and attend when I can. And uh, let me just remind you, you can sign up personally to follow Open Doors yourself if you wish to do so um, and fill those cards in and come and see me afterwards. I've got some other literature down here as well, which you're welcome to take. It's all free. And um, just one last question, last one thing to say. When you were asked a question or the question on that day, where were you? When the persecuted saints were persecuted for my sake, you can say, I was right there with them in prayer, in spirit, and in partnership in the gospel. Amen.